Turn over to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter chapter 10. We've been looking at his faith, past, present, or future. That it seems that a lot of times, uh, as we've, we've uh, listened in the teaching on faith, sometimes it seems like the Word of God is telling us that we have something, and sometimes it's telling us that something is ours, and then sometimes it tells, seems to tell us that something is for us, or will come to us. So we wanted to take on the subject of, is past, is faith past, present, or future? Just in the area of healing, if we just take that for example, is it that I was healed? Is it that I am healed? Or is it that I will be healed? Because this will change some of the ways that we, that we pray. And so we spent a couple of weeks on that this week and we're going to come to another of the healing stories of Jesus when he healed a blind man. I love the healing stories of Jesus. There is so much to be learned from them. There are so many thousands of people that he healed, and yet we're only given a few that are written in the New Testament. The ones that we are given have something to teach us. They have instruction for us. And it's so good when we can go there and look at them and, and see what we can find out about healing. Because how many of you are in the same boat I'm in? I still have more to learn. I still got to learn more about faith. I still got to learn more about healing. I still got to learn more about all kinds of things in the Word of God. We don't don't know that. I love the story Brother Hagen told us when we were in school. He he said one time he was having a conversation with the Lord. I think it was just in his in his spirit, or maybe one of the other times. But this conversation he that he was having, he um, the Lord had told him about something that was in the Word. And he said, Lord, if that's in the Word, I don't know it. And the Lord said to him, there's a lot in the Word you don't know. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) I mean, we think we know. And surely we know more than we did maybe a few years ago, five years ago, ten years. We We surely know more. But oh, there's so much more to be learned. But last week we were taking a look at at another one of the healing stories and we saw that faith, ha- faith has three realms. We spent some time on that. The first off, there was what was done in the past. There is what is in our present that needs changing. And then there is the hope that we set our eyes to in the future. Now this past, present, and future part, the enemy wants to corrupt. He wants to pervert this. He wants you to get to think of negative things in your past failures that have gone on. And that these will continue in your in your present. He wants you to think that your present conditions, whatever they are, are too great for you. And to despair of the future. That you have no positive hope. That's not what God wants for you. And that's not the picture that God paints for you. So this morning we're going to take a look at how to deal with things that are going on in your very own present. Because each of us have a present, don't we? And the things that we have the... Uh, the biggest problem with is the things that are in our present. The Lord says, don't worry about the things for tomorrow. I know many of us uh, have a hard time following that advice. <laughs> but if we just deal with the things that are in our present, that's what we're going to look at here today. How do we stay in faith and acknowledge the situations that are in our life while we are believing for a change? So we're going to look at one of these encounters of Jesus with a blind man, a person you are all very familiar with. How many remember blind Bartimaeus? 
I looked this up and it's been a little while since we've gone over this story. We may refer to it every once in a while, but it's been at least a year and a half we've been torn this one apart. So, you know, some of the details might sound familiar to you. I always go over them again because you have new people that come in and they don't know all, all that. But we're looking at this for this purpose of past, present, and future. And in this particular one, we can learn a lot about the present situations by what they have going on. Now, in the past, over the years, I've given this to you many times. I'll give it to you again because it's important for us to know. It's not in your outline. If you want to write it down, this is not something that you know already. You can write this down. There are three reasons why people do not receive healing. Three reasons that people do not receive healing. First one is disobedience. The second one is unbelief. And the third is ignorance. If you remember, I've given you this as a uh, acronym of DUI. Don't let your faith drive under the influence <laughs> of disbelief or disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance. Now you can throw a fourth in for general faith because Jesus didn't teach this necessarily in the area of, of uh, healing exclusively, but he did teach it in the area of, of general faith and having your prayers answers, answered. You can write in there unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness will hinder your prayers, he says. But one of these, disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance, one of the most misunderstood ones is unbelief. That people don't always understand what unbelief is. Because when Jesus says, don't have unbelief in your heart, if I don't know what unbelief is, how many of you know I'm going to have a hard time keeping that out? If I don't know what the thing is, how am I going to recognize it when it tries to come in? And so we have to, to understand what unbelief really is because sometimes we can think that unbelief is merely a lack of faith. In fact, I would say if we took a poll, most Christians would say that unbelief is a lack of faith. And so we think in order for me to get rid of unbelief, what I have to do is get more faith. And then we get discouraged. I don't seem to be able to get more faith. How am I going to, how am I going to get rid of this unbelief? Now, disobedience, we know what that is. If God told you to do something and you said, no, that's... That's disobedience. That's, that's pretty much what it is. I just, I'm just not going to do it. I heard the command. I saw the command and the word, whatever it is. I just said, nope, I'm not going to do it. And that's disobedience. Ignorance. We all know what ignorance is, don't we? You just don't know. I just, I haven't heard. Remember, Paul came up to a group of people and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He said, we haven't so much as heard there is a Holy Spirit. They were ignorant of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that they were disbelieving. It wasn't that they were disobedience. They just were ignorant. They didn't know. And so he told them about it. And so then they could get on the, the right page. But our best example for unbelief comes in John chapter 20. And you can go back and read this over if any of this is new to you. I'm not going to flash anything up on the screen or read anything off to you. But in John chapter 20, the specific verses are 24 to 29 if you want to go and read this later on. We see that Thomas was not in the room when Jesus appeared, so he didn't see him. Remember the, all the stories about Doubting Thomas? We all get that name, Doubting Thomas, because he was doubting. He was in unbelief. He heard the disciples say, we saw him, and he said out of his mouth, I won't believe. Unless I see the nail prints, and unless I see the, the side, the, the hole in the side, I'm not going to believe. And so then Jesus appears in the room, and he speaks to Thomas and he says, Behold, Thomas, my hands and my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
he said to him. Now see, that's our greatest clue as to what unbelief is. Because Jesus himself calls what he's walking in unbelief. Now it was not a lack of faith. He was one of the disciples and he had faith to go out there and to cast out demons when he, he spoke to demons. He had faith to cast out sickness and disease when he did that. Word of God tells us that the twelve went out and came back and were amazed. Later on, 70 were sent out and they came back amazed that the demons were even subject to them. So these things had already gone on. So they had faith, but still we see this unbelief that was there. So unbelief is simple. Unbelief is the rejection of truth. Unbelief is simply the rejection of truth. When you hear something that is true and you just say, I don't believe it. I reject it. See, you're not ignorant anymore. Somebody came to you and gave me the light. But you say, no, I don't believe it. That's what unbelief is. You cannot be in unbelief about something that you've never heard. It's not possible. I cannot be in unbelief on something I don't know. I have to hear it and then reject it as being untrue. That's unbelief. Now, how many of you say that would limit how many things you're actually in unbelief on? I haven't rejected the thing as being untrue. I may be having a hard time getting my head around it, understanding it or walking in faith to the thing, but I haven't rejected Father, I know that's true. <laughs> but man, I'm just having a hard time walking in that. See, that's not unbelief. But the enemy will try and keep you in the, in the bondage of thinking something that's not right. So let's take, a, let's take a look at Bartimaeus here. Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho and his disciples had a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now this story of a blind man being healed, you'll see in, in three different Gospels. Only one time do we have him called Bartimaeus. There is another time and I believe it's Matthew's gospel when he tells a story of a blind person being healed, he cites two of them. That there were two that came to Jesus. And that's not the only time that Matthew cites two when the other writers only cite one. Now very likely this is because uh, and here with Bartimaeus, there are very likely maybe two in this story, but Bartimaeus is the spokesperson. Bartimaeus is the, the main one and he's the one that's addressed. Or it could have been two different stories. Either way. The third time we see this uh, account of around Jericho coming to a, a, a blind person, that blind person receiving sight, and there are very a lot of similarities between the stories, Jesus is going to Jericho instead of leaving from Jericho. But again, there are thousands of healing stories that Jesus had, and it is uh, possible that there, some of them had some similar accounts. Because if you heard something work for one person, wouldn't you try and do it the same day, same way? We all do that now. I heard that somebody said they took and took authority in the name of Jesus this way. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go and do it this way. We try and imitate. So then, now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, now a great multitude is described in the Word of God. You know, this is, this is a big word here when he uses the word great. Right? When we see the word great, we see the great multitude that was fed in the 5,000 and the 4,000. That was just the numbers of the men. Then you had the wives and you had the kids. So you're looking at excess in the group of the 5,000. You could be around 20,000 people that were there. When he fed 5,000 people, he actually fed about 20. 
When he fed 4,000, it was probably somewhere under 20,000. But that's a lot of people to be feeding. So, imagine this. There's a great multitude here. We are not looking at a multitude that you can count by tens. Most of the time that we see a great multitude, or this word great being used, you're looking at a thousand and up. Now, picture this. Picture someone in a group of one or two thousand. Let's just stay on the small side. One or two thousand people around one individual. And you want to get to that one individual. One or two thousand people. We are not in church. This is not a funeral. This is not a wedding. These people are talking. They're just going about and doing things. There's there's noise to be had. Nobody's trying to make noise. It's just you have a thousand, two thousand people around, whatever number of people you have. If you have all those people around, they are going to make some noise. They just do. So blind Bartimaeus is there. He was sitting by the road begging. Now his job, apparently, was that of a beggar. He he either was born blind or more than likely because of some of the hints that are in the story became blind. So he became blind and whatever it was, whether it was young age or whether he had already had a job and then became blind and then um, uh, took up begging. But whatever it is, he took up begging. Now, if you are a beggar and you have a large crowd that is passing by all at once, how many of you would get excited? This is, I mean, you, you depend on lots of people coming because people are not going to give you a small fortune. They're going to give you coins. And so a few coins from a whole lot of people can be a lot. So he um, he's by the side of the road and he hears, because you're going to hear a crowd of a few thousand people. You're going to hear them coming. This is more than just what's normally passing on the road. There's a commotion that's here. If He's probably got some people near him, maybe even some other beggars that are there. And maybe some of them have sight. And they say, he may say to them, what's going on? I mean, wouldn't you do that? If you were blind and you had somebody near you who was also begging and, um, they had sight, maybe they couldn't walk, but they had sight. Would you say, would you not say what's going on? Because somehow he finds out that this crowd that's coming by has a particular person in the, in the group. So, verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Well, how do you hear that? You're not going to hear this because the crowd is saying something, because there's a thousand, two thousand voices all saying something. More than likely, somebody next to him recognized what the crowd was coming for, or saw Jesus himself, and said, Oh, it's Jesus coming. And he's got a whole mess of people with him. So, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now his occupation is a beggar. This is his opportunity to get some begging going on and to get some alms and to get people to give him something. Even if just, you know, a hundred people gave him a little bit. That'd be a pretty good day. 
So he's a, he should be over there asking for this. This, this is, this should motivate you. Because most likely, you know, you see a beggar who's blind on the side of the street. They're probably not well off. He probably needs every, every, uh, penny he can get. You would think that that would motivate him. Let's get on over here. Let's, let's do this. But he, he doesn't. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now don't be, don't be thinking for a moment that he's over there saying, hey Jesus, Jesus, I'm over here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We have several thousand people that are around Jesus that are making noise. And if you have several thousand people around Jesus, that means the distance between you and the one you want to get to is greater. So, if you are blind Bartimaeus, what are you doing? Jesus! (laughs) Son of David! Have mercy on me! He's not doing this a little bit. He's He is shouting as loud as he can to uh, get his attention. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now when he says this, Jesus, Son of David, this is quite a statement. What he is saying is, Jesus, the Messiah. That is what he is saying. He's not just saying, well, you're a descendant of David. I appreciate that about you. No, because the people of Israel are looking for a particular son of David. And what he is saying is, I believe that you are that son. Jesus, son of David, the Messiah we have been waiting for. Have mercy on me. Now, that's a faith statement, isn't it? Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say, you know, you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're one of the prophets. And so Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And from that point on, he began to teach them about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Changed the way that he taught them. Changed the way he related because of what they saw, what they heard. But see, they didn't come by that. By any other way, Jesus said, then by revelation. So how did he get it? He's not a follower of Jesus. He doesn't hear Jesus teaching all the time. How does this man get this knowledge that Jesus says is revelation from the Father? Now, if you're Jesus and you made that statement to your disciples, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And you got somebody on the street who is shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Shouting it. He is making a bold declaration to everyone there. I believe that this man is the Messiah. That means the Pharisees, Sadducees, anyone else who's around doesn't like Jesus. 
may put a target on this guy. He didn't care. Now that's the kind of attention, well, that's the kind of thing that gets Jesus' attention, doesn't it? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 48. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's got a good phrase. He's sticking with it. (laughs) So people around that you, at one point, are looking to get alms for. Would love to get some alms right now, maybe even. But you're distancing yourself to them. They're getting mad at you. Because you're doing this. It says, now look at this right there. Many warned him to be quiet. Many warned him to be quiet. That word there for warned is actually a word that is translated very often rebuke. It is used when Jesus rebuked demons. It is used when Jesus rebuked Peter. When Peter had those those words, now you should not be teaching this way. It is used when the disciples rebuked the children to keep them from coming to Jesus. They warned him to be quiet. I'm sure that they weren't nice about it. They did not like this activity going on. If someone is shouting something that you don't mind, you let it go. But if somebody begins to shout something and you don't like it, now some of us, we just kind of be quiet about it. You move on, but there are people who feel like they ought to, you know, interject and whatever it is that you say and do and so forth. And these are some of those people. And they're saying, you ought to to be quiet. We don't want to hear that kind of talk. We're here trying to enjoy Jesus and you're messing up with our, our atmosphere here. I don't like this. Be quiet. We were in today's society, we'd be using terminology like, shut up. And uh, trying to get this guy to be quiet because they didn't like it. Because he's not just hollering out, asking for something. Top of his lungs, he is making it known. He wants to get that word, those words over to Jesus. And no one in the crowd is going to help him. So they rebuked him. They warned him. If you're going to warn somebody, aren't you warning them that something else is on the way? So, when you, when it says that they rebuked him or they warned him, they're basically saying, if you don't quiet down, I'm gonna. I don't know what they were gonna do, but whatever it was, it did not stop him. And it didn't just say that one or two of them did it, did it. It said many. Now there's a great multitude here, but I'm sure one or two probably went over there and said, hey, be quiet. And he didn't listen, he got louder. So then more of them decided, we'll, we'll, we'll chime in there too. Yo, we're with them. We're with those folks. Be quiet. Hush. Shut up already. We don't want to hear this from you. But he keeps going. Now there is enough of a crowd going on and enough noise in that crowd that all this happens before Jesus hears them. Now can you imagine that? Somebody shouting at the top of their voice and there's enough of a crowd, which is probably means that there's more than one or two thousand people there. 
all these people coming out of the city of Jericho with him, going with him to this, to Jerusalem. But after a while, he keeps going and he's not being held up. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now I put this in your outline for you. Expectation without anticipation is just talk. If you say you have expectation but are not anticipating anything, that's just talk. That's just, let's think of it this way. How many of you are expecting a bill in the mail this week? How many know that a certain bill comes on this day? It might be Pico. It might be uh, a phone bill. It might be whatever it might be. But some kind of bill is probably coming this week. How many of you would say you are expecting some kind of a bill to come this week? Anybody here? All right, a couple of you expecting a bill that might be coming. I know some of you go online, I guess, and, and you just uh, you don't get the bill anymore, but it, it's, it's coming somehow or another. You're going to be getting uh, a bill. Now, how many of you are anticipating that bill coming? Oh, did it come yet? Did it come yet? Oh, oh, I was just out of the mail. We didn't get the Pico bill yet. Oh, I want to get that Pico bill. I cannot wait to get that Pico bill. Oh, when we get that Pico bill, I'm going to be so excited to get that Pico bill. <laughs> how many of you respond that way? No, if we don't get it, we got to pay it. <laughs> you got to mail it to me if you want me to get to get to pay that thing. So there, there can be expectation without anticipation. But you know, if we say that, well, I'm expecting the Pico bill. That's just talk, right? We're not. I don't really. I'm not looking forward to this thing coming. I'm not looking forward to it at all. Now we could also say, you know, with a little bit of anticipation. Um, I am expecting the Christmas season on Hallmark to start soon. Yes. Now, I don't know about you all, but I have anticipation for that. <laughs> I look forward to the Christmas. I am one of those who records reruns of Christmas movies to watch in the summer. Yes. 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 I, I love Christmas movies. We have a friend of ours on Facebook who's already decorating her house. I said, Amen! Go for it. Saddest day for me is when we take down the Christmas decorations. I don't like to take down the Christmas decorations. I mean, why in the world take them down? You're just going to put them up again. Let's just leave them up. <laughs> when we run around at nighttime, you know, we when you get into the wintertime and you, you run, you have to run at nighttime a lot. That's not daytime most of the time that you're running. So we have all this night gear that you get out there. You know, got a headlight out there. We got the armbands that light up. I got all kinds of stuff. My shoes light up. Um, I just, you know, I've told you before, if somebody hits me and I'm on the road running at night, they wanted to. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. They, they were trying. Because I am lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, despite that, it's not fun running at night. I don't get a whole lot of enjoy. I'd much rather run in the daytime. Daytime is, I like the sun to be out. I want to be out in the daytime, but sometimes you just have to run at nighttime, and so we run at nighttime and you, you go then. But during the month of December, a little bit towards the end of November, mostly in the month of December and into January, it's not so bad because all the Christmas lights are out. And the streets that would normally be dark are lit up just by all those Christmas lights. But then January comes. And one by one, the houses drop off that had the Christmas lights on. 
And then pretty soon it's all dark. And it stays that way till like March. Don't like that. But you know, that's an example of anticipation. You name something that you anticipate that you're looking forward to. All right, I expect this to happen, but I am looking forward to when it happens. Oh, I'm so glad when that day finally gets here, when that event finally comes or that package comes in the mail. There is anticipation. If you have expectation and anticipation, you are going to talk about it. You're going to say something about it. And and you can tell. I mean, there's one thing you can say, well, yeah, the Pico bill should be here this week. Right? And there's a difference between saying that and saying, hey, the Pico bill is coming. (laughs) One has expectation. One has anticipation as well. I put in your outline, when our faith engages expectation, our mouth engages in speaking. When your faith grabs hold of something that God said is yours, that can be yours, you cannot help but have your mouth begin to speak. When we finally got hold of the idea that we were saved, how many of us got excited about that? Glory to God. I'm going to heaven. God has prepared a place for me. The people that have gone on before me, I'm going to go see them. We get glad. Our, Our mouth gets to speaking about the things that we are anticipating. Now, this can be for good and it can be for bad. Your faith can engage what is good from the word or what is bad from the world. You can do both. Now, there are enemies of expectation. You can write these in there if you want to. I've given them to you before a number of times. If they um, don't jump out at you or if you haven't heard them before, here's some enemies of expectation. First off, failure. failure. If you've had past failures on a thing, it will hinder your uh, expectation with anticipation. It'll hinder it. I'm just, well, I tried to do this before. It hasn't worked. So I become more apprehensive than um, expected. False doctrine. If I believe something wrong in the Word, that's going to hinder you. Because the Word didn't teach it to me. And every time I reach out to get that, it doesn't come. Another reason for failure. Failure, false doctrine, frustration. Frustration. I just can't seem to make this thing work. Can't seem to make this thing go. Here's a fourth one. That's friends. How many of you ever have some friends that put down your expectation? You may say to them, Hey, I'm going to this this week. Oh, I've been there. Lousy. Hey, I'm going to go try out that new restaurant. Oh, I was there. Service was terrible. And you had expectation. All of a sudden, oh. Your friends friends can shoot down a lot of your expectation with anticipation. But once your expectation is off the word, it takes effort and intention to put it back on. You can do it. But you've got to be focused in. Too often Christians waste time denying their own reality. Well, that's not really happening. I'm not really in debt. By faith. I am not in debt. By faith. We start declaring things. 
that, uh, that we want to be. And sometimes we can do that and be in the right way, but a lot of times we're just denying what's there. One thing I want you to see in this story, we'll, we'll find out, is that nowhere does Jesus expect this man to deny what he has. In fact, you'll never find this with Jesus. Jesus never expected anyone to deny the situation that they were in. You'll see more as we get into the next verses. So he sees that Jesus is the Christ and he's asking for mercy. Now, it is possible that his blindness was something that was brought on through his own carelessness and that's why he's asking for mercy. It may be that he was at work and did something, did something stupid. How many have ever done something stupid and thought, I could have really got hurt doing that, but you didn't. <laughs> and you're glad, but you could have. Could have really got hurt doing that. You know, for, for a good number of years, Lamar and I, we were playing hockey every Tuesday night and Sunday night. We were always playing hockey. And I don't care what happens to you when you're playing, when you're playing hockey. If you come home hurt, you did something stupid to your wife. Or to anybody. I mean, you, what are you doing that for? <laughs> Why are you playing that? No matter what, you know, they're gonna, why'd you, it's just stupid. Why in the world are you doing that? So you don't get sympathy. Because whatever it was, you, it was stupid. Why are you chasing that thing around the gym? Really, it makes no sense at all. But we had fun doing it anyway. So maybe something he saw either through his own carelessness or maybe it was that he was someplace he shouldn't be. Have you ever been someplace you shouldn't be? You know, man, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. And if something happened to you, hmm. Or somehow he may just see that however he became blind, it was his own fault. Because he asked for mercy. So he figures Jesus is the Christ. He knows the stupid thing that I did. He knows what I, what I put myself into. I'm asking for mercy. That may be why he put that statement in there. Because he says it over and over again. See, he declares in front of a great multitude, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now sometimes just talking about whatever it is that you're excited about gets you even more excited. Have you ever had that? You're excited about something, but you just start talking to somebody, you start getting more excited. That's why it's, it's good to talk about it. Talk about the things you're excited about and get more excited. So pressure is put on him to be quiet, but he doesn't. He doesn't quiet down. He, he keeps going. Verse 49, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. So Jesus stops. Now, if Jesus stops, what happens to the great multitude? They all stop. He stood still. And he commanded him to be called. So Jesus says, I want that man brought to me. The one who's shouting. I want that man brought to me. He commands this. And then look at the next part of this verse. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. All right, so before he's making a ruckus, shut up. 
Hush! Be quiet! Quit making such a racket! And then Jesus says, hey, get that guy, I want him. Hey, he's calling you. (laughs) Have you ever seen people do that? I mean, they're one way, and then as soon as they find out, oh, it's good for me if I get on your side. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, that stuff I was saying before, I didn't mean it, you know. (laughs) Just know, people haven't changed. There was this way in Jesus' day too. Be of good cheer. Rise. He is called. In fact, let me take you to him. <laughs> let me escort you over there. I know where Jesus is. I will take you right there. Jesus, here is the man you've been calling for. And I'm Steve, by the way. Live, live right over there. <laughs> mm. Be of good cheer. Rise. He is calling you. Now look at this. If you've been here for a while, we've talked to you about this. This is important for you to know. In verse 50, And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. This is important to know. If you are blind, if you are lame, if you are going to become a beggar for any reason, in our country, they have actually a permit that you can have. In some areas, you need to have a permit in order to beg. And most of the cities will have this. Now, not all of them set it up, and sometimes people just go there and they, they become beggars, but they don't necessarily have a license to beg. Now, that license means that someone has checked you out to make sure that you are legally blind, lame, or whatever. So, it's, now, this is not all the places. I don't know if Philadelphia is this way, but I know certain cities, you have to have a permit in order to be able to beg. I don't think they charge them any money for it, I think they just have to verify. So there's some place you can go. Do you have a permit? Uh, no. And then just walk on if you, if you don't want to. So that is in some places. But here, this was the way they did it. But they didn't have a license. What they had was a particular garment that you would wear that says that you have the right to beg. And that you were authentic in your claim to need begging. To need alms. So when it says that he threw aside his garment, it's not talking about throwing away a coat. It's not talking about throwing away some blanket like Linus carried around. What it's talking about is he took his blind man's garment that said, I am a blind man. It is legal. It is good for you to give me alms. He took that and he threw it away. Now, the word there for throw is used uh, a number of times in the, in the Word of God. And um, may have already gone, yep, already went past that. But it means to throw off, lose, or to throw away. It is used only here and in Hebrews 10.35, but we have it used in other places a little more often. It is the word apobalo. Now, balo is the word for throw, and this is just accentuating it, to mean to throw away from you. We're not just throwing. The whole purpose of this throw is to get it away from you. I'll put it to you this way. If you have picked up a garment and it had a spider on it, how many of you would be concerned about the direction of the throw? 
What is your purpose in throwing away that, that garment? To get it away from me. That's the purpose of it. Hebrews 10.35, which is the other place this word is used, it says, cast not away your confidence. Don't let your con- don't throw your confidence away from you. Now, balo is used all the time in the Word of God for throw. But it's not used with the word apo, which means to throw away. This is one of my things in Greek class that I used. Every so often, you know, we get some of these words and it would help you to remember. So balo is real easy for me to remember as throw. I can, you can tell me anytime during the week about, ask me what, what's the word balo mean? I'll tell you to throw. Why? Because you throw a ball. Ba- ball is in the, is in the word. For me, anyway, I look at it as I see ball. So I say, oh, ball I throw. So I know how to, how to do that. But apo, balo, means to throw off, to loose, or to throw away. To get it away from yourself. So when he took this garment, he does not throw it where he was sitting. He does not throw it to a place or to someone that he knows. He throws it away from himself. That's all he cares about. So if you had something that was in your hand and you're just throwing it away, you're not looking. Of course, he's blind, but you're not looking. You're just throwing it away. What he is saying here, this is a tremendous act of faith on his part. I will not be needing the blind man's coat anymore. What's the harm in going up to Jesus with the garment? Is there any harm in that? No problem with that. Just go to, I got, I got the garment with me. Shows me I'm, I'm really blind. But no. He wanted to throw this thing away from himself. Because he knows I won't need it anymore. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So he does all this sitting at the side of the road begging alms. He does the throwing from a sitting position. Throws it. And then he rises up and he goes to see Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Now, Jesus always asks us, the people, what do you want me to do for you? He'd ask them. He wants them to go on record stating what they want, what they ask for. So in order for this to happen, he has to first off acknowledge that he is blind. He can't go up there and say, I have symptoms of being blind. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Interesting that he de- what he does not say. He does not say that you would heal me. Doesn't say that. He says that I may receive my sight. Nothing in his statement has anything for Jesus to do, does it? It doesn't say that you would lay your hands on me that I would be, that I would see. Or, you know, I heard about that spitting thing. And I'm not a big fan, 
but I really would like to not be blind anymore, so go ahead, spit. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't say that. He said that I may receive my sight. What this tells us about Bartimaeus is that when he's sitting there by the road, and this is the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and Jesus has traveled this road many times, that maybe one of the times he went on by, he said to the guy, who is, who is that guy who went by? That's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, what's his claim to fame? Well, he's a, he's a great teacher. Wonderful teacher. He, uh, he's healed a lot of people. Healed them of what? Well, we've seen some, you know, some lame people. They rose up. We saw some dead people get up. Anybody blind? Yeah, yeah, we saw some people blind. In fact, one even born blind. And um, he healed them. Born blind, really. And so he began to hear some of the things that Jesus had done. And as he heard the things that Jesus had done, probably even heard maybe some of the things that Jesus had taught. You don't have any evidence that he was ever in one of the meetings. We just see that he probably heard about Jesus. Got it all secondhand. And he meditated on that. And he thought on that. And he came up with this all on his own through the revelation that God gave him that Jesus was the Messiah. And he began to think and he said, if I ever encounter Jesus, I know I can be healed just like the rest of those people were. And so all the time he's sitting over there, alms, alms, alms. He's thinking. Because it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to go, alms, alms. It doesn't take any kind of thought to do that. Just kind of say it. So he's thinking. If I ever meet Jesus, what would I say to him? And he came up with this. He dropped in his spirit. Probably the same way that he got revelation that Jesus was the Christ. It dropped in his spirit. It said, if I see Jesus, I want to be able to say to him something that tells him I know who he is and that I believe that he is the Messiah. Because the same thing, he says the same thing over and over and over and over. He doesn't change it. He keeps saying the same thing. Son of David, have mercy on me. That tells me he rehearsed this. He said to himself, if I ever see Jesus, if I ever get the opportunity where Jesus comes by, this is what I'm going to do. And he envisioned himself saying this, getting Jesus' attention with a loud voice hollering this out. And I, I know Jesus will call me up. I know Jesus will call me up and I'll be there in front of Jesus. And it maybe even the thought came to him, Jesus was always asking people, what do you want? What do I say to him that I want? And he began to, to think on things and it came to him that I may receive my sight. And you see, this spoke volumes to Jesus. Because he's not asking Jesus to do anything. He's asking for himself to receive. See, most people ask for Jesus to do something for them. This man says that I may receive my sight. Now, don't go to verse 452 yet, but if you 
have not been to verse 52 in, a, in recent time. And you're thinking that he says that I may receive my sight. How many of you in your mind can kind of put together what should happen next? Jesus lays his hands on him. Jesus says something about seeing again. Jesus does something to transfer the power that he would be healed. Or maybe we go back to the story with the the man at the pool. Rise, take up your bed and walk. But he doesn't say that to him. He doesn't give him anything to say or to do to access the power. Nothing. Let's go to verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now how many of you would be a little disappointed if you went out to a special meeting where somebody had an anointing for healing and you waited in the masses of lines and got up to the front of the line and you said that I may receive my sight and the man says, well, go. Get out of here. Your face already made you well. <laughs> How many would be excited about that? <laughs> but you see, he has already made several statements of faith. One, you are the son of David. And he threw away his cloak. He didn't ask for Jesus to give him something to do. He came up with it all on his own because he envisioned this. He thought about this because as soon as he heard Jesus was in the crowd, as soon as he heard it, what's he do? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's like he had done exactly what he has rehearsed over and over and over. He kept picturing this. If Jesus comes by this road, this is what I'm going to do. If Jesus comes by this road, This is what I'm going to do. And he kept envisioning, kept seeing himself doing this. So as soon as Jesus is coming by the road and he hears it, immediately he goes, Jesus, son of David, mercy on me. When he gets his attention, he goes into the next part that I may receive my sight after throwing away the blank, the, the garment, throwing away the garment. Jesus is just acknowledging the faith this man has already demonstrated. But I want you to see something about this. The man who was at the pool, Jesus said three things. Rise, take up your bed, and walk, right? And he had to obey, and by obeying, the power of God came to him. I want you to notice this about this man. Jesus never gave him anything to do. But he acknowledged what he's already done. Who told this man that you could be healed by declaring that Jesus is the Messiah throwing away your garment and coming and asking not for him to heal you but to receive your healing. Who told him that? I can't find a single person in the Word of God who did anything the way this guy did it. So I have to conclude that he came up with this on his own. If I see Jesus, I am going to let him know that he is my Messiah. When he calls on me, because I'm going to shout loud enough, I'm going to get his attention. If you get Jesus' attention, things happen. When I get his attention, I will not be needing this garment anymore. 
I'm going to throw it away. And my words to Jesus are going to be, when he asks me, because he always asks people, what do you want? And I'm going to tell him that I may receive my sight. Jesus, all he says is, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Do you know that you can access the power of God for your life simply? By getting into the Word, meditating on the Word, and developing something for your faith to do. Now these are good things. The same way that it was revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah, it was revealed to him what to do. He heard it in his spirit and he acted on it. You can hear in your spirit things to do. God will say, I want you to do, I want you to, and I'll list you some things to do. And by faith you do them. The same way as a man with leprosy was told, go dip in the water, Jordan, wash seven times. Same way as that. God will speak to your spirit what you need to hear. You follow it out. Do exactly what was revealed to your spirit to do. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says, I didn't do it. I didn't do this. (laughs) You did it. You got something for your faith to act upon when I would show up. And then you set in motion the things that you did. Jesus said, I had nothing to do with this. Your faith made you well. Go your way and be healed. And immediately he received his sight. He received his sight. You know, most of the problems that people have in the area of healing, in the area of faith, is they think the problem's on God and sending it. Generally, the, faith, the problem is our end receiving it. I'll give you another example of this. If your electricity goes out in your home, how many of your first thought is, oh, the power company must have lost, lost the connection? Somebody must have hit a pole, transformers down. How many of you all think the problem is at the source? That's our first thought. In fact, how many of you, if the lights went out in your house, the first thing you would do is look down the street and see if your neighbors were affected? Because generally, the first thing we suspect is the source. But how many of y'all know it's possible it might just be your problem? Might be at your box? Might not be anybody else's problem but you. That the problem is in the receiving. You know that most of our problems in the areas that we're going to get from things we need from God, it's in the receiving part. It's not in the giving part. It's the receiving. This man recognized that. He said, I need to be able to receive what you have and are giving. What a man of faith this guy was. Well, he said, I may receive my sight. Focuses on receiving. See, faith, hope, and expectation carry me into action. They will carry you into some kind of action. If your faith, your hope, and your expectation don't carry you into some kind of action, there's something wrong on your part. 
going to carry you into some kind of action. Doubt and unbelief have me to a place of waiting for the action to happen. When doubt and unbelief work its way in, it's because I'm waiting for things to happen. Well, I'm just waiting for God to show up. I'm just waiting for God to finally heal me. I've asked Him. I'm believing. I'm standing. I'm just waiting for Him to... Doubt and unbelief will put you on that side. Faith realizes, no, I just need to receive it. I just need to receive it. Your faith has made you well. You know that whole, that whole phrase there, has made you well, in the Greek is one word. Four letters long. And we get four words out of it. Has made you well. The Greek word is the word sozo. It is the exact same word for salvation. Whenever it says you have been saved by faith, it's the exact same word. In fact, I heard one teacher, he would go around and he would say, every time he saw the word saved in the Word of God, he would see saved, healed. He would read it that way. Saved, healed. Because it's the same thing. He had to get it into his head that I'm healed the same way I was saved. So what's going on in your present? First off, folks, you've got to acknowledge it does not mean taking ownership of it. It means acknowledging it. You can acknowledge what is going on in your present without taking ownership of it. I can acknowledge that I have some pain in my back without saying, my back pain. See, one takes ownership of it, one recognizes that it's there. If you go to the doctor and you say, Doc, I've got this pain over here, the doctor can do something about it, right? But if you can't tell the doctor where the pain is, it can't help you that much. You got to tell them where the pain is. This is what's going on, but it's not mine. I'm not taking it, but it's, it's, it's in there. It's bothering me. You know, you can, you can be affected by a headache. It doesn't have to be your headache. But I can still, I, I, right now, there's a headache trying to take hold of me. You can even say, man, it hurts. But I don't have to go around saying, well, these headaches of mine, stop taking ownership of the stuff. You can still acknowledge it is there. Denying that it's there does not mean you're not taking ownership of the thing. Some people put it that way. My, my aching back is feeling so much better. Stop taking ownership of this stuff. Meditate on the word concerning your situation. You will come out with a faith action. God will give you some faith things to do. God will give you some things to, to, uh, he may say, you know, stop doing this, start doing that. There's a, there was a big thing in the, you know, word of faith people. Big thing, and the people were throwing away medications. Because they thought by throwing away the medication, this is an act of faith, and that's not good to do. That you, you don't want to be done throwing away medication. Now, if God said to you, don't take that medication anymore, then God's telling you something. Don't take it anymore. But don't just throw it away. Well, I'm going to show God my faith. Phew! And throw it away. That's not good. 
That's kind of like throwing yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't be doing stuff like that. But when you get in your spirit, you don't need that anymore. And don't take it. But you do it because it came up in your spirit, not for any other reason. Now, meditating on the Word, this will give you some faith actions. If you worry, worry will produce fear actions. You don't want those. <laughs> keep them out of your... Keep them out. But meditate on the Word of God. Go back to the Word of God and meditate on it. You remember, how did this guy get this faith? He heard about Jesus. And you've got more in your Bible to hear about Jesus than he had. Now, if he could come up with steps that they were believing for him, so can you. You've got more at your disposal than Bartimaeus had. Study the, the Word. Meditate on the Word. Keep meditating on the Word. And then on the inside of you, it's going to come up what to do about the thing that you face. It's going to come up for you. You just need to listen to it. And sometimes it may be, it, it, you don't, you don't, don't always put it to the point that, well, I'm just going to not have to do anything, but just be healed. Because sometimes, you know, we're, we're just not there in our faith to, to be able to do that. I've told you a few of the situations I've been in where God has uh, given me clear direction on, on what to do. And, and, you know, one time I, I was out delivering bunk beds in the morning. And out delivering the bunk beds and, and, uh, and came back and had a second bunk bed to deliver. Which is no big deal. I just, you know, I delivered the one. Came back, had to reload. And, um, I was getting ready to, um, to reload and had a pain. Well, you know, um, I just lay down here for a minute. It was, it was severe enough pain that I had to lay down. Um, I just lay down here for a minute. It'll go away. Uh, and I thought maybe I ought to eat something. And, um, so I lay down. And it didn't get better. It just got worse. So my wife was out back. She was doing stuff in the yard. I can't go out and help her. I can't even load the bed up for the, the next bed to, to do. So it's just sitting there waiting. And I try to get up. I can't get get up. So down in my spirit, it says, it's your appendix. So <laughs> I, I told you the story before. I, and, uh, you know, we ended up going to the, I called her, my wife in from outside and I said, uh, I have to go to the hospital. My appendix is, uh, it needs to come out. And so we got to the hospital and I walked into the ER and they said, uh, what are you here for? I says, well, I have a problem with my appendix, uh, it has to come out. And, um, of course, they don't take medical advice from, <laughs> from people. And, and so they started rattling down the list and they said, well, do you have a pain in your side? I said, yes. Do you have any nausea? No. Are you running a fever? No. And there was a fourth symptom, and I forget what it was. But you should have all four of these symptoms before they, uh, they say it's a, the appendix and it has to come out. And I said, well, I don't know about having all the symptoms, but uh, I know I have my, it's my appendix and you have to get out. Well, we said, we can't take your word for it. We have to do our own test. I said, I'm sure you do. This is over the 4th of July weekend. It was on a Friday. And I had gone in, I think it was in the afternoon, I went in on a Friday. And so they had to do all their tests. They came back several hours later and they said, well, it's your appendix, it'll have to come out. <laughs> but now it's Friday night. And so now they got to call somebody in on a Friday night on the 4th of July weekend to come in and do an emergency surgery to get the thing out. Now, I didn't tell it to them, but I was thinking if you would have listened to me earlier, you would have called the guy in sooner. <laughs> 
But I didn't say that to him. <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes those kind of things will come up on you. And I have it most of the times I go to the doctor, I listen to what's in my spirit. Now, sometimes a doctor will say, it might be this. You need to get it checked out. And, uh, you know, when I was going through that pneumonia thing I was, I was having, I went to the doctor and he prescribed something. Inside I'm saying, that's not it. I even told him, I don't think that's it. And he says, well, let's just give this a try. So we went over and gave it a try. I came back and he said, I um, came back to the same doctor and he uh, went on through his stuff. He says, well, that doesn't seem to be it, so I think we're going to try this. I says, don't you think you ought to do some blood work? I says, no, I don't think we need to do that. And so he went on with another treatment, which did nothing. And so by the time I said, well, forget him, I'm going to go with... It came up my spirit, get some blood work done. That's what came up in me. And so um, I went to another... I went to the, uh, what, the patient first place, and I, I checked in there. And their first thing was blood work, x-ray, and they did the whole, whole nine yards. They came in and they said, you have pneumonia. And you see, if we would have treated it a little bit sooner, it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. But... <laughs> But you see, that came up. Well, that's, it still wasn't going after I went through the full treatment. I went back into there and it still wasn't gone. There was still a lot of pain. There were still a lot of things going on. So I described it to them what's going on. And they said, you need to go to the ER. Because we think it's either your heart or it's, and they, they, they named another thing that um, I didn't tell anybody about. <clears throat> but they said it, would, it, might, it might be a blood clot in your lung. And we're real concerned about that. So, you know, they told me the scary thing. They were going to make me sign stuff, saying that I was not going to go or all that sort of stuff. And so I said, no, I'll go. But um, I'll go on out there. So I went on home. I was going to get some things arranged. But I'm checking in my spirit the whole time. I says, God, is it, is it any of these two things? And all I was getting was a no. It's not those two things. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to go. And so I didn't go. But you see, you got to check in your spirit. Now, if it had been one of those things, you know, you're going <laughs> to... But you have to listen to your spirit. Don't just listen to what a doctor says. They're going to give you the best thing they can tell you. But don't just listen to what they say. Go to your spirit. Listen to your spirit. Tell him what to do. And so um, that thing was still, part of the, the thing was still going on. There's this one pain that was going on in my chest for the longest time. I couldn't seem to get rid of this pain. It's not a normal pain that I've usually had. And so I was over at the chiropractor and I told uh, Dr. Z about it. And I said, I got this pain right here. And I was supposed to see him a week before. I had pneumonia, and uh, so I didn't go to him. I ended up going to him then, and, and he said, oh, he says, push around. Yeah, that's because of this spot right here. <laughs> and, you know, he makes you see stars and stuff like that. So he, uh, he pushed on that for a while <laughs> and, uh, and got it going. He says, does it feel better? I says, yeah, it kind of does. He says, all right, now when you're home, do this. And he showed me what to do. And so I was home, and I had this little ball, and I put it up against the wall, and I made it push on that same spot. And day by day, that pain got better, and it went all, went all away. But see, I could have gone to the ER and spent all that money and then had the uh, fear and all that stuff put inside me, but I didn't need to have that because you're checking your spirit. That's what you got to listen to. Now, your spirit will tell you what not to do. He'll also tell you what to do. But you've got to have faith in it. Now, I've learned over the years to have faith in it. When God tells me you don't need to go to the ER, I don't go to the ER. I stay away from that sort of thing. But you've got to listen to your spirit. Get the confidence and listen to your spirit and the smaller things so when a bigger thing comes up that's life or death, you'll listen to it and you'll know. These are the things that are important. This guy, what I want you to see from this guy was he dealt with his present. He dealt with what was going on in his present day, the situations that he was feeling, the situation he was living in every day. He didn't deny it. 
but he kept meditating on the things he heard about Jesus. And by the time he came to Jesus, he had a strategy. This is what I'm going to do when I see Jesus. Remember the woman from the, with the issue of blood? She had the same kind of, developed the same kind of thing. She heard about Jesus. And she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be whole. That's a story we skipped over before. If you went back and read it, you, you would have seen all that. And so she saw Jesus. She pressed into the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment and instantly healed. And, uh, you know, books have been written. A woman who wrote her own ticket with God. You can write yours. But listen to your spirit. Get into the Word. Meditate on the Scriptures. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's going to give you fear actions. You don't need fear actions. You need faith actions. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. How many of you would say, let's all bow our heads and we're looking around here. How many of you would say, I have a situation in my life that has eluded my faith. My faith has not been able to get there. I don't know what to do to get this thing changed, whether it's a healing situation or any other situation that we face Face in your faith is at work. But it just doesn't seem to be getting there. How many of you would say you have a situation like that? Raise your hand. All right. Father God, you see the hands that are raised here with these, these folks. I thank you that as they study in your word, as they meditate on your word, as they think over the promises that are in your word and go over and over and over the scriptures on healing, the things that Jesus had done, the people that he had healed, that in them you are going to build the same way you did with blind Bartimaeus a roadmap map how you're going to receive that thing. I thank you, Father, that you paint those roadmaps for us. The same way that you revealed to Bartimaeus that Jesus was the Messiah, you revealed to him what he should do if he should meet Jesus. And he did him. And he received his sight. I thank you, Father. We can follow that same example. And these people that have raised their hand about a situation that they're facing, that they want to see changed, they may have given in to fear. They may not have. They may have worried and fallen into fear and anxiety. They may have some actions that come up. They're not based on faith. But Father, wherever it is that we were at, we can change that today. We can deal with the things that are in our present and you have no problem with us saying, I am blind or I can't walk or whatever these people did when they came to you, whatever they said. You never rebuked them. It's not a problem for us to acknowledge our reality. It's a problem when we think our reality, what's going on here, can never be changed and is too great for you. I thank you, Father, that each person here who raised their hand, as they go home and they meditate on your scriptures, as they meditate on the healing stories in the Word of God, that you will paint for them a picture of what it is that they need to do, what it is that they can do. They can start it up for themselves. I thank you for your great love for us. You love us greatly. And all you want to see us set free from whatever it is that we have going on. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church family. Uh, 
those of you that are here and also those that are watching by way of the internet. Um, I thank God for all of you here. I, I really enjoy um, just giving a, a hello to you. And um, I'm not going to try to go and, you know, re-preach what we have heard uh, from Pastor Steve, but as each of us this week um, meditate on what we've heard and hopefully go up um, on the, on the online and be able to listen to this message again, just has so many things in it that we can all benefit from. So I encourage you to do that. Also, um, our bulletin, we have a lot of things in our bulletin that will be uh, coming up this month. One thing I will mention, uh, those of you that have children, nieces, nephews, or um, that uh, would like to do something uh, on the 31st, we have what we call Hallelujah Night. And it's really nice for the children to come and for two hours be at the sports center. And this is also in your bulletin to enjoy um, this night, uh, not with costumes and everything, but just to enjoy uh, uh, fellowshipping with each other. And the good thing about it is the children can come and all the adults are invited to. We have a great time. So I would invite you to um, look into that. Um, it's going to be on the 31st of this month. And I wanted to say, uh, God bless you. Have a good, good rest of the day and a wonderful week. Thank you. God bless you.